Welcome to Tricks of the Rich, the cure for financial FOMO. That's the fear of missing out on what all the rich people seem to know that no one ever told the rest of us. We've heard that rich people know how to make money work for them. Were we absent the day they taught that? We're still working for money. Well, we've decided to do what the rich do. Assemble a team of expensive experts and advisors to do the hard work for us. They'll be our guests and we're going to pick their brains every week and learn the tricks of the rich so we have a chance to get rich too, if we so choose. We weren't born with membership in the Rich Person Club, so we're going to crash it. Thanks for joining us. All right, welcome back to another episode of Tricks of the Rich, and I'm your hostess, Jen, and I'm here with our favorite estate planner, Jill Harris. Hello, Jen. Thanks for having me back. So today, we wanted to do kind of estate planning 101, and you've already given us a few episodes of kind of the the high points of estate planning, and we've had three episodes of you and I putting together, or you asking me all the questions that go into an estate plan. But we just kind of want to back up and go from the beginning and identify what an estate plan is, who needs it, why you need it. This is kind of life 101. If you want to get wealth, you have to preserve it not only for your heirs, but for yourself. You know, I kind of, I've been thinking about this analogy a lot in what we're trying to do with Tricks of the Rich. Like if your life or your money or your wealth is a bucket, you got your inputs and you got a hole in the bottom. Like, you know, that hole in the bottom, you have to patch, you have to protect it. So like all the work you do to fill your bucket isn't wasted on not having the right insurance, not having an estate plan, not, you know, there are so many protective things you have to do thinking about how you save money on taxes. Like you're always either filling the bucket or keeping the bucket from leaking. (laughs) And um, estate planning is to a large extent, extent keeping the bucket from leaking, and it's just as important as filling it <laughs> on the net-net uh, basis. So first of all, Joe, can you tell us what is an estate plan? Well, there's kind of two ways to go here. First, there's planning for yourself to protect you if you become incapacitated, so incapacity planning, and then there's planning for when you're dead. So that's what most people think of estate planning, wills and trusts, but that's just part of it. So everybody has an estate, even if they don't have assets, because the estate is you. But for family with assets, the more assets you have, the more important it is to plan, because most taxes are optional. So when I hear estate, I think that's a rich person thing. Like even a yard sale, if it's at a rich person's house, it's an estate sale. Like estate immediately is kind of like a tune out cue for a lot of people. But you say everyone has an estate. Correct. Okay. And do you have to have stuff to have an estate or just your very legal being is an estate? Your very legal being. You don't need to have any stuff. Um, Most folks start off with a basic estate plan that's based on having powers of attorney. Powers of attorney are documents that only work while you're alive. They expire on your death with one limited exception. There are two kinds of powers of attorney. Financial power of attorney, where you appoint one or more people to take care of financial matters for you, and you can have it effective immediately, or you can have it effective only on proof of your incapacity. And then there is the medical power of attorney. Some states call this a living will. Here in California, it's an advanced health care directive. And this is where you say that if you are not able to make your own medical decisions, what they should be and who you want to have legally carry those out for you. 
The medical power of attorney will survive you for final arrangements. So the person you appoint in your advanced health care directive can take care of you know, what happens to your body, funeral and burial arrangements. If you don't have that, they won't talk to anybody, except maybe if they have a lot of money. So the advanced health care is also... Um post body care <laughs> right. it's like when you're dead like so that i guess you could also have your will talk about a trustee and your wishes last wishes and everything or is that better embedded in the health care directive now, a will jen mm -hmm. only works if you are dead mm -hmm. and the will has to be accepted by the court before anybody can act under the will and that's a, a very lengthy and expensive process so we're we're trying to avoid rules here. And you don't um, want to be chilling in the morgue for six months until the will's accepted. So you right. need something in your advanced medical directive about in case of death. So what happens is, is, is that most people who don't do powers of attorney, if you get sick and nobody can legally pay your bills or make decisions for you, that's where we end up in the conservatorship process. So your spouse family, kids will go to court and apply for a conservatorship that will last the rest of your lifetime. And these are very expensive. So you can spend a couple hundred dollars and get powers of attorney or make your family potentially spend hundreds of thousands of your dollars and get a conservatorship. And if your family doesn't step up and do it and you end up in the hospital or a nursing home, the county conservator will step in and take over your money and they're very good at spending it, and they're not very good at using different, different tips and tricks to preserving assets for the for um, the patients that they are in charge of. So they tend to just get you into a nice nursing home, spend ten to fifteen thousand dollars a month until you run out of money, and then put you on Medi-Cal, where there are ways to protect your money so you don't have to spend it all. So I highly recommend powers of attorney for any living adult person to make sure that you're taken care of if you become incapacitated. So if you have a body, if you have breath, you have an estate <laughs> and you need estate right. planning help. Like if you don't at least have that, no matter, you could you could not own a thing, but if you don't want your your physical body to be yeah. in trouble, so, you need a state planner. So in these days of COVID, if you go into the hospital or a nursing home, who can go visit you? No one. Right. So how are we going to pay your bills or mm -hmm. make decisions for you? If we don't have a power of attorney, you have to go to court. Guess, guess what's closed again? Courts. So it's a, it's a very difficult process if you haven't set anything up. Um, now, there is a very important factor. When you have power of attorney, you better be sure that you can trust who you appoint. You don't want to just appoint, a, you know, a friend you just met or, or a neighbor without talking to them. It has to be a very trusted and capable person. I always wondered about that, like that. And also, I think it's um, like signatories or like agency, like there, there, there are a lot of legal contracts that can bind people that they basically step into your shoes and can do everything you would do speak for everything that you would speak for legally are there any like checks and balances on that so what if you do a, a, a appoint the wrong person or someone you know you somehow piss them off on your way to death and <laughs> are you really at the mercy of their choices or are there some some 
Well, so the person you appoint has a fiduciary responsibility to act only in your best interest. If they don't, they can be both civilly and criminally liable. And I have excellent attorneys that I occasionally have to refer people to and families to when the fiduciary doesn't behave themselves. Mm, okay, good. So, so there's some... There, yes. The, Check on the, that. Often, especially if there are other family members and they see all your money disappearing, they're going to want to know what's going on. But if you don't have the right person to appoint, you want to perhaps get a professional fiduciary or a bank to handle things if you can't. Do you, does it cost money to contract with them in advance of your death or the, the, the fees start accruing after your death? <laughs> like how expensive is it to have that in place? Well, the fees don't accrue until they start working. Okay. So a professional will either charge an hourly rate or a flat percentage, and a bank just charges a percentage. And, and usually it's a small amount, around 1% to 2%, usually at the most, of the value of what they're managing for you. So if so, you wanted to get that in place, it's not like it'll cost money to set it up. It only costs money on the back end or when it's actually being Correct. Okay, that's good. That's one thing that (laughs) wouldn't, one fewer reason to get scared away from that. It does sound very imposing. Now, back to powers of attorney, it's very important that you, you, use the right forms and get them signed correctly. So I've seen a lot of folks, you know, get old, what we call, used to call stationary store forms off the internet that are no longer valid or not complete. They don't fill them out properly and then they don't execute them properly. A general financial power of attorney in California requires a notary. An advanced healthcare directive um, can have witnesses or a notary. Not both. Um, well, you can do both. Could it do both. won't hurt, but you have to have it e- either have a witnessed or notarized to make that valid. And I can't tell you how many invalid powers of attorney I've seen over the years, hundreds and hundreds of them. Well, I, I've been guilty for doing a Google image search on co- certain contracts. Oh, there's a PDF that looks pretty good, pretty legit, dated in 2020. Let's let's right. see, take a take a whirl. But and it, and it turns out it's only valid in Louisiana. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so not recommended. The, the, the old saying is, don't try this at home. Yes. Uh, uh, powers of attorney cost two or $300 for someone like me to do both um, and guarantee that they're perfect. You can also, especially for medical decisions, tailor the power of attorney to what you want, not use a generic form. And a lot of the generic forms are filled with blanks, and I rarely see anybody properly complete all the blanks. And is this like a set it and forget it thing for the rest of your life? Or as long as you don't change your mind about who you want to have power of attorney, you pay, someone comes along, pays you two, $300 and it's done. It's done for now. Done but for now. in my world, there's really no such thing as set it and forget it. Mm-hmm. So we can have a whole talk about this, Jen. Um, your estate plan is a living, evolving creature. So let's talk about when I was a baby lawyer, I hate to admit, but it was 30 years ago, (laughs) my very first will reading, we still did those in the day, the family brought in the will and we went through the will together and every single person named in the will was dead. The executors had all died, the heirs had all died, and the person who wrote the will said it and forget it never updated it. So these are living documents, folks. So every so often you need to look at them and make sure that you still like and trust who you appointed. They're still willing to act or 
still alive. And they're still alive and making as good a judgment as you would want them to make. So when I do estate plans for people, I give you a list, a checklist. If anything on this list happens, let's talk. Mm -hmm. If nothing on the list happens every five to ten years, let's talk. Mm -hmm. And pay attention to changes in the law. There have been a lot lately and there are more coming. Um, So if there's something that happens that you think might affect your estate plan, check your attorney. Do you have like a tickler file of all these people? I better send an email if something happens that might affect what you've done for them. Well, I send out an email to everybody when the law changes. I try to do one every month. Mm -hmm. Um, But especially my January, February emails will have all the new laws that go into effect that year. But it can be anything that happens. So I've got one poor client. He's got a whole bunch of daughters. And every year, one of them gets married or divorced and changes their name. (laughs) So... And they're all in charge in his estate plan, and their names have to match their ID. So every year we have to make some amendments to uh, correct the names of his daughters. Well, that's a minefield. Like, what if 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 someone legally? I mean, presumably you have to probably put their social number, social security number, or something that identifies that person. So even if they decide to, you know, change their name to like Moonchild, <laughs> you know, if they just randomly change your name, like. You have to change it or there's yeah. still it follows them in some way. Well, if you've appointed someone to be your executor or trustee, they have to have ID to be able to go to a bank or financial company or title company yeah. and show I'm this person. So we will we have to keep modifying the documents. And I have had moon children, and I ask my client to tell me what the legal name they have on their ID is, and it's usually something like um, Jane Smith. So. Now, but there are a lot of other changes. So if if you get divorced, you have to redo your estate plan. If you win the lottery, there's some fun estate planning we can do. Maybe that should be another uh, a show, Jen. Oh, for all for all the five people in Contra Costa County that will apply to, but I so. wish it were me. So one big mistake a lot of people make and my clients try to make and I won't let them is naming specific beneficiaries, especially grandchildren. Mm. So I have a lot of my clients who want to set up something for their grandkids to help with the crazy costs of college. And what they want to do is say, okay, I have my first grandchild and I want to leave him $10,000. So my question is, what happens when you have your second grandchild? Well, they said, well, we would want him to have $10,000 too. Well, the problem is, is they never remember to update their estate plan. So in a case like that, we would just say 10000 to each grandchild without mm-hmm. putting their names. Don't you also have to define what a grandchild is? What if they're step-grandchildren? Uh, uh, well, there's a legal definition. Um, there is. Yeah, legal issue have to be either natural or adopted. So step don't count. Interesting. But you could specify that. That's all just, you have to enumerate those things. So the big picture, Jen, is if things happen, if there's any major change in your family or your finances, Mm -hmm. you need to have your estate plan reviewed, starting with the powers of attorney. But again, the powers of attorney only work when you're alive. The will is kind of the opposite. So a will only works if you are dead. Can't tell you how many times people have said my executor this and my executor that. Well, you don't have an executor until somebody is actually appointed by the court, and the court issues a document called letters testamentary um, that is then certified by the court, and now that person can carry it around and say I'm the executor, and I'm going to spend a couple years in court and spend a whole lot of money getting through the process because that's what happens when you have a will instead of a trust. So more accurately, when you're alive, you would say, I have a future executor. 
Um, and when you say powers, a medical power of attorney, and I mean, I've been in the hospital when I've had babies and you have to sign a, a health care directive. Is that for people who don't have a medical power of attorney, like in order so they have some legal laws to follow? And is it superseded by having a, an official one with someone like you? Or how do those um, interact? Yeah. Try to avoid signing those forms in the hospital while they're rolling you down in a gurney to the operating room. I had a client do that and they signed a form and in the generic language of the form, which they were in no condition to read, it said, I revoke all of my prior powers of attorney, which canceled their financial and medical power of attorney that I did for them. This is a lawyer thing. This is not a nurse thing in the hospital. Uh, But you can sign an emergency one in the hospital if you were lazy and never did a real one, but that will cancel other documents you've done before. So if you've done one with a lawyer, don't sign a new one. Oh my gosh, that should be like in bold red type. Right. If Do you not sign, sign a, this if you yeah. have one, because that could screw your entire family over. Yeah, most of the forms just say I revoke my prior health care directives. So a lot of my clients accidentally cancel the documents they did with me and we have to re-sign them. So if you do one with a doctor or hospital, you need to take it to your estate planning attorney and do a real one. So, but when you sign that in the hospital, if you do perish in the hospital, perish the thought, they, if, if you've signed or if you haven't signed it, they have to go looking for the instructions for what to do with you. But correct. There isn't like a there isn't a database where all that stuff is stored. Correct? How, would they just talk to next to Ken and hope that they aim them at you? Well, Kaiser has a database. Oh, that's good. So I tell all my Kaiser clients to make sure that they go to the business office and share their advance directive. And Kaiser also has a form for it that you can use as a temporary advance directive until you can do a real one. A lot of the other hospitals can have you sign something called a pulsed physician's order for life sustaining treatment, where you can say okay, before, since I've never done any planning and waited till it was too late, um, if something happens to me, I don't want life support. So you can still do that as you're being rolled down in the gurney. Folks, that's not the time to do the planning. I prefer, I, I joke sometimes about this when I have to do hospital signings, which I can't do anymore. Um, but I used to tell folks, you know, uh, we prefer to have people wearing clothes when they do their estate <laughs> plans. Uh, but so many people procrastinate that my paralegal and I are constantly doing last-minute signings in the hospital rooms. Honestly, like I think if I were being wheeled down the hallway, if I knew I didn't have a will, I would say, keep me alive so I can do a will. But like, do not put yourself in this situation where like you, you can't do what you want with your own life because you feel like you haven't prepared properly. Like, I mean, and the time to prepare is now. But it's so common, Jen, that, that in my office and a lot of other law firms, we have on a list of our services, emergency estate planning. Emergency estate planning. Wow. And that is more expensive than normal estate planning. I imagine so. Now, when I when I hear estate plan, I think of an estate plan as a an estate plan kind of like as a is a is a bucket of things. There's not one estate plan, one item. Like an estate plan is a container that holds your will and testament, your powers of attorney, your healthcare directives. Is that true? Yes, and, so and the plan is the entirety right. of all those individual Correct. documents. Okay. So the powers of attorney only work when you're alive. A will only works when you're dead. Mm -hmm. A will by itself is usually not a good basis for an estate plan because a will to actually be 
legally validated and to distribute your estate has to go through the multi-year probate process. That's quite expensive. Um, and then most folks, and certainly a trick of the rich is, is no person with any significant assets would be caught dead, pun intended, without a trust. Um, a normal living trust is the first step and basis of most estate plans, and then the will and the powers of attorney work together with the trust. Mm-hmm. Yep, trust, another word that sounds like it's just for rich folk, but anyone who has anything needs a trust. Well, if you have nothing, you may not need a trust, <laughs> but kind of a rule of thumb is if you have if you have a home or other real estate and you like your heirs, a trust is normally by far the best way to go. And there are benefits for a surviving spouse, for you, and for the children in a trust. Um, it's interesting these days, we're, we're here in California, we just passed a proposition called Prop 19 that will have the effect of significantly raising the property taxes when you inherit property. And so I have a, a huge influx of people panicking about you know, planning to protect their families from that. And we have a, a very short deadline. And some of the folks who've contacted me haven't even done a basic estate plan yet. And yet now they're worried about advanced planning. So I, there's not a whole lot I can do for them in the limited time we have. First step is you do the real basic living trust estate plan to avoid court, to protect your assets, and do other fun things. Then there are a lot of advanced planning to tools, which is what we're going to use for property tax planning. We can use to reduce or eliminate estate taxes um, and, of and, and a lot of other tricks um, that more sophisticated families use. It seems like if, if you are within the sound of our voices, you have a human body and ears, you need to call Joel for at least the, <laughs> at least the stuff that pertains to your medical health and your well-being. If you own anything else, if you own anything or have kids, then you need the other stuff. So the default thinking that you should be having is, I need to call Joel. <laughs> and then just the second question is, for what? <laughs> but, but there's going to be something if you don't already have something prepared. It's yeah. like this applies to everybody. Now, everyone needs a will, Jen. Mm. So, uh, oh, so like you don't need an you don't need a trust, but you still need a will, even right. if you don't have stuff. Even if you don't oh, have stuff, you need a thickens. will. So, okay. number one, you need a will if you have children. It's the best way to appoint guardians for your children. Okay. There are other ways, but the will is best. Number two, if you have a smaller estate, if you don't have real estate. And by the way, this is generic information. This is not advice on how you should run out and try this at home. But if you don't have real estate and you have a smaller estate and you've named beneficiaries on your accounts, the will just serves as a backup to confirm how you want things distributed in case you mess up the beneficiary designations. So a lot of times I tell folks, make sure you put pay on death on your accounts and I put it in writing and they don't do it. So now at least the will goes to court and we have the right beneficiaries. Wait, you said that there's something someone has to say, pay on death? I haven't heard this before. What's this? Yeah. Well, you ever heard of life insurance, for yes, example? Yes. When you have life insurance, you name a beneficiary, so it right. pays on your death to the named beneficiaries. Well, I get a significant number of life insurance policies that do not have a living beneficiary on them. Mm -hmm. So 
it's important part of your estate planning to make sure you have proper beneficiaries. And we'll have another class on uh, another podcast on the fine art of naming a beneficiary. But if you forget to name the beneficiaries on things like 401k, like, I mean, there have been times when I've, I've had to name beneficiaries, didn't think, didn't realize at the time how serious it was to do well. So if you, if you know you've done that at some point and forgot who you wrote, you've got to, you've got to resurface those documents and look. Um, but if you did that wrong or you don't have anyone on there or they're dead, the will can kind of retroactively say, oh, for everything, all my assets that I didn't name a beneficiary, this is how I want it distributed. So the will is like the fail safe. Right. Well, the will doesn't supersede the beneficiary designation though. Right. So if you still have, you know, people you don't like as beneficiary and you change your will, the beneficiaries will still get everything. So it's important that your beneficiaries coordinate with your estate plan. Very good. So the third and number one reason why I do wills still is my wills, the ones that I mostly do, and the one that I did for you, Jen, (laughs) says I give all of my assets to my living trust in case I forgot to put anything in it. Oh, yes. There's that trust again. Yes. So whenever we set up a trust, we have a backup will to make sure everything gets into the trust. Many people forget to put all their assets in their trust when they set it up, and they often forget they have a trust when they open up new accounts or buy new properties in the future. Um, When I help families administer a decedent's trust, um, it's very rare for us to find that all of the assets are in the trust. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of cleanup work to do, and we have to use that backup will. And all assets go in the trust, the, not just real estate. Like for instance, if you knew you had a 401k, it it's you before it still goes. It's still your you. Can you put a 401k in a trust? No. Okay. What can you put in a trust aside from real estate and so like what trust, other assets hold, yeah. can it hold? The trust is for your properties in any state, your businesses your stocks, bonds, mutual funds, bank accounts, and other tangible assets. The trust cannot be the owner of an individual retirement account. Mm -hmm. Only an individual can. And then the trust normally is not the owner of life insurance, but is most often the beneficiary of life insurance. So when I do estate planning for clients, I create a checklist for them based on their assets, telling them what goes in the trust and how, and what does not go in the trust and why. So when you have, if you have a trust, if your bank accounts can go in there, does that mean that if I have a checking account at Wells Fargo, it says trust of Jennifer Matias and not my name? Correct. Oh, wow. I don't think I've ever seen anyone have that or I didn't realize that's the trick of the rich and I apparently don't know many rich people. All right, because if your assets are not in your trust and you get sick, the trustee, one of the purposes of the trust is to hold your assets. So if you get sick, whoever you appoint as your successor trustee can manage them for you. I see. Okay. If you leave anything out of the trust, 
then we do what I do is I have a power of attorney and I appoint your same successor trustee as power of attorney so they can access that account and, and use it for you and put it in the trust. If you don't have the power of attorney, then your trustee is not able to access those accounts. Do people make you give you power of attorney to clean up mess that they didn't deal with in life? No, I'm not allowed okay. to write my name <laughs> in as a fiduciary in my client's documents unless they're related to me. Okay, but I, I've had I, lots I of offers. Yeah, yes. no kidding. <laughs> Look so, out for me, man. So the no, so one of the purposes of a trust is to take care of you if you get sick, and this you know with Alzheimer's and dementia and and the care that people can get now, this can be over ten years of management, mm-hmm. um, and avoids a conservatorship. And then the second part of the trust is to take care of your heirs, your family, whoever you want them to be when you die. Now, can I ask if your bank, if your checking account, bank accounts are in a trust, they own the account, is there a document, do you like, you're a signatory of it? And then like when you're, when you're incapacitated, someone else can, that's appointed can make, write checks out of your checking account? Like, I mean, is it that, is that true? So what happens is, is when, when you set up a trust and and Jen's in the process of this, so she's going to be doing this signing her soon. We've already completed the drafts. Mm -hmm. And then after Jen signs her drafts, she is going to take her trust into her banks. And her banks are going to add the name of her trust to her accounts. Mm. If Jen were to get incapacitated or die, her trustee will show up at the bank with the trust and proof of death or incapacity. And then the bank will take Jen's name off of Jen's accounts and put the trustee's name on. So they are now in charge of the accounts. They are not the owner of the accounts. Mm. They are the manager of the accounts. The owner is still the trust for the benefit of Jen for her lifetime and the benefit of the heirs Jen puts in her trust when Jen dies. The trustee might be one of the heirs. They might not. The plot thickens. So, and so so if I, I've, there are certain banks that are like Northern Bank and Trust or Northern Trust Bank. Like if they have the word trust in it, does that mean they are specifically stating we specialize in accounts that are in trusts? Like what, is, what does that mean in the? That means they have their own trust department oh. that acts as a professional fiduciary for their clients. Mm. So a lot of my clients do not have a family member that has the skill and the trustworthiness to be in charge of their estate. So we'll appoint a professional fiduciary or a bank, such as the one you mentioned, right in the documents to be either your successor trustee or maybe a backup or a co-trustee to help out your family. In many cases, I imagine the richer the family, the less likely you are to have a trustee that's qualified to act as a trustee. So rich families will use a bank and trust or a trust bank and and hire that fiduciary. That is that kind of the default, like for rich families, that's usually what happens? It depends, but really? they, they're much more likely to use a professional, especially if they don't have skilled children uh, managing things. We want to be very, very careful in the world of estate planning to avoid a sickness that we call affluenza. Affluenza hits when, when you're when you're non-affluent, when your heirs who are not skilled with money all of a sudden have unrestricted large sums of money and they do all kinds of foolish things with it. Mm-hmm. 
they become new people, <laughs> different people. Money can yeah. make people crazy. We've seen that yeah. anecdotally, and you do not want that happening to your family. So, And some people just aren't old enough. I, I just yesterday I had to talk some people off the ledge who wanted to leave their estate to their grandkids at age 18 um, for college. And I said, well, if you give an 18-year-old a lot of money, are they going to go to college? I don't know. How about 21? They said, all right, if you give a junior all their tuition money, are they going to finish college? You want to you set an age much higher than that and just have somebody more responsible in charge of dishing out the money until the kids are you know, 30 or 60 years old and hopefully able to handle things well. Mm -hmm. So that's part of what we do in a trust is we set up ways to protect your children and grandchildren from themselves and make sure the money can be properly used. Usually I put care support, maintenance, education. That's kind of the standard template. But I've had folks add, you know, buy a car, pay for a golf club membership, pay for sports season tickets. <laughs> I was going to say box seats of the Giants. Yep. Yeah, if you've already got season tickets, we want to make sure that the annual fee is paid so you can put whatever you want in your trust and here comes denise our co-host and she's going to join us here and hi. ask me even more questions <laughs> hi thanks sorry i'm late Better late than never. Yeah, See, another I, trick of the rich, take care of your teeth. And yeah, that's we heard what that, you just did. <laughs> yeah, we heard that Denise went to her dentist and made a bad impression. Ooh, <laughs> this is Joel Harris. I'm an estate planning and probate attorney with three offices in the East Bay. I'm a state bar certified specialist and a California super lawyer. I help people set up estate plans because everybody has an estate, and if you don't think you have one, I can show you how. I also review and repair existing estate plans, and I help people administer estates. For 30 years, I've specialized in helping folks translate all this stuff into English instead of here and after their two-fours. Denise has just joined us back from another another exciting retainer-sizing adventure. <laughs> Yes, I really did have a bad impression last week, so I yes. had to come back again today. Yes. <laughs> well, here is where you're, you always make a good impression. So, yes, I'm sure Denise will have a lot of um, good questions. I'm learning so much. Like, he and I have already done three episodes on building my estate plan. Still haven't, like, taken it all the way to the finish line, but every single thing he says are, like, seven other questions. So we are digging deep today. So um, uh, one thing that I think is when you were just talking about trustees, choosing a trustee, um, often hiring a, f a professional trustee if you have to. If a trustee passes away while they are doing their trustee thing, what happens? Do you have secondary trustees? Like, I mean, what is what, what happens? It might take a long time to execute a... Well, Jen, you might recall that in your trust, I insisted you give me a list of trustees. So we normally put backup trustees, but mm -hmm. if they all die, in my documents, I allow the beneficiaries to elect a new trustee. Mm -hmm. If you don't have that or your beneficiaries are children, then we have to go to court and have a new trustee appointed by the court. So it's always a good idea to have backups. And does the court, do people like trustees, independent fiduciaries, I mean, do they, are they just kind of on a waiting list to be appointed by the court? Like, wh what is the pool from which they draw trustees that uh, they might assign to you? Well, to be f blunt, it's usually all the greedy heirs that show up and want to be in charge. Oh, got you. Okay. So normally we have uh, no problem getting volunteers to be in charge. 
someone uh, within the flow of money. It's not it's, you don't need a professional to step up when someone has a has right. a stake in it. They're and more than happy. There yeah. are some that actually appoint attorneys to be the trustee for their kids. Um, I worked with a cell where the parents had it in a trust. And it was going to the son, but it was an, an attorney that managed it, and the son could, really didn't have too much of a say. I mean, he could have an influence in what he was because he was he was irresponsible, or he yes. was too young because he was he well, he, he was irresponsible. So when the heirs all go to court and fight over who's going to be in charge, nine out of ten times the court will either appoint a professional fiduciary or tell them they have to agree on one, and will not appoint any of them. Mm. And this can take a long time and cost a lot of money to get there. So it's best to do it yourself and appoint some people to be in charge and not to leave that for chance. So enough judges have seen enough um, <laughs> shit storms, <laughs> to, so to speak, to to know that if there's a lot of contention, it either has to be agreed to or going to be assigned because otherwise they're going to be back in front of that judge how many more times in the next Correct. few years. Gotcha. So what is the cost? I mean, I'm, I'm sure setting up a estate, estate plan, any of these elements, obviously, um, everyone within the sound of our voice needs some element of an estate plan. Um, it'll cost some money to set up, but like, what is the cost of not having one? That seems like a far more um, motivating number. <laughs> yeah, and what's interesting is, is the, the number one reason people come to me to do a trust is to avoid probate court. That is not the number one reason to get one. There are a lot of other great benefits, but avoiding probate does save a couple of years in court and a lot of money. So the fee for probate is paid, set by statute. So there's a minimum fee. There's no maximum fee. I guess the maximum fee is 100% of the estate, which I've seen happen. Um, but the court appraises the assets of the estate and then the attorney and the executor get 8% on the first 100,000, 6% on the next 100,000, 4% then up to a million, and then 2% up to, I don't remember how many millions, and maybe it's 15 million. And that doesn't even include just like a fee to use the form. There's a fee to file a Oh, that's not the court fees. Yeah, there are court fees. On top of that. And uh, you have to pay the newspaper and the court appraiser and the court fees. The court fees and the appraisal, that those cost more than setting up a trust. Mm. The attorney and executor fee for yep. an average estate is, I tend to see usually about forty to $50,000. Holy. Um, so if there's one house in the estate. And your debts don't count. This is gross mm. estate. So if there's a mortgage on the house, it's worth a million dollars. It's going to be a $46,000 probate asset, whether there's a mortgage or not. Oh my gosh. So basically, you're either going to pay now or a heck of a lot more later. So don't ask how much it costs, how much like how much right. is the the downside of not doing this. Yes, as Benjamin Franklin once wisely said, a stitch in time saves nine or a heck of a lot of money. But this is not the sole reason to do estate planning, but this is a great reason to do it. And a mm -hmm. lot of people realize that. We've got this law that I, I'm kind of still surprised that this happened in California. Um, we, so this is involving nursing homes. A lot of folks um, end up in nursing homes and they end up with liens against their estate. Um, and that is currently, if you're on Medi-Cal, that's the lowest of the low and that is 
a, a very small $10,250 per month minimum, and that lien then goes against your estate. Governor Brown signed a bill that says your estate will now only include probate assets. So if you have your house in a living trust, they can't put a lien on it against you or your spouse or your heirs. If your house goes through probate, then we have to pay back the state for your long-term care and maybe other things before anything would go to your heirs. So in the past, trusts only offered asset protection for your heirs. You can't put something in a living trust that you can take back whenever you want and then say, I don't have to pay my bills anymore. Mm -hmm. But now it can protect your assets from long-term care for yourself, your spouse, your kids, and so forth. But it also then can protect your kids from their spouses and their creditors and their poor spending habits and whatever else you want. You can put any provisions you want almost in a trust. There's well, that is kind of generous of the yes. state to actually do something to your <laughs> benefit that doesn't fill the pockets of, a, of the state. And when, when you mentioned the fees, really yeah. quick, um, when you said a certain percentage on certain chunks of money or certain levels of money, is that the fee that is ongoing, for example, yearly at based on the dollars at the start of the probate or because obviously that number, the estate is going to end up being less and less. Right. The probate is a fixed fee that the percentages I gave you is the minimum. And mm -hmm. then there's a list of things that we can ask for extraordinary fees for. And that doesn't include appraisers, realtor fees, and so forth, and court fees, and newspaper fees, and all that. That's is that just, an annual fee, though? That no, that's a one-time one fee. Time. Okay. Um, yeah, I wish it was an annual fee because probates take, especially these days, more than a year. Um, and I and the attorney doesn't actually get paid until it's done, so we don't ever delay it. We try to get these done as quickly as possible. But for a professional fiduciary or for your trustee of your trust, you usually pay them one roughly 1%, and that is an annual fee for managing your trust for, that doesn't start until they take over. It doesn't cost anything to name a professional in your will or trust. They don't charge until they start work, and then they charge either hourly or annually. But in theory, if they're doing a good job as a trustee, wouldn't the trust eventually be all the will, ha the will has been exercised, the trust is empty? Like, I mean, so I understand why you would want things to happen quickly, but a trustee could milk it, couldn't they? Just I take a long time. Exercising to make we actually the closed uh, a deal on. Um, She's a realtor, by the way. <laughs> if you don't know, so uh, we had a deal where the uh, mother had passed away, but had it in a trust, and in that trust, it allowed for the her her really good friend to live in the house rent free, and all that she would have had to pay was the HOA and the I believe the property tax. Um, that friend passed away, but the son was living there also and felt that he was entitled to that um, perk as well, and so he didn't pay for it. And the trust who was supposed, the, uh, the trustee who was supposed to manage that trust did not do it carefully and was paying everything for her, including the property tax. Even when and, she was dead. And even when she was dead. Mm. And then also they did a remodel on the house using the trust's money. So it was definitely poorly managed. And let's just say by the time that my client's um, son stepped in to handle that, I mean, there were I think I want to say there were four different attorneys involved, one representing the son and the mom, one representing the T 
tenants, one representing the trustee and one of the admin administrator in the trustee had to hire another t- attorney because I think there was something. Well, not- who rings the alarm in a situation like that? Like Joel, if you like, who would say like this trustee is is not being a good fiduciary? We need to change things. Like who? who- the beneficiaries of the trust. Okay. In this case, when when the lady who was given the life estate died. At that point, the asset should have gone to the beneficiaries, and it didn't. Mm. So they would be wondering, where's our money? And so that's how things usually get started. And in this case, the trustee mismanaged the trust, and they're probably on the hook for um, some of these expenses. Fortunately, if they remodeled the house, they probably also increased the value of the property. So that might not have gotten them into too much trouble. Uh, so if not you- when, they're, when they hire the the trustees related husband who's a contractor and they you know as a real real (laughs) i don't ever recommend you overbuild or over remodel in your neighborhood and that's exactly what they did they spent three hundred thousand dollars on a remodel for a a two-bedroom condo (laughs) so that was definitely putting money in their pocket but a nice condo yes gold gold fixtures so so the trustee is going to be liable for mismanaging the trust and for you know hiring somebody not at arm's length but a relative and then overpaying for their services so that's going to come back to the trustee it's, you know, people always fight over who's going to be in charge of an estate. And I think the smart people are the ones who fight over who's not going to have to be in charge. Yeah, no kidding. Because it's not easy and it's not something you often get thanked for. And if you don't do things right, you're personally on the hook. Let me ask if, if for instance, uh, uh, parents died, left a home to their kids, but in a trust, the trustee manages that home for as long as it's owned. There's no escape hatch. There's no, like that trustee is a trustee forever. Like when does that, when does that expire out? Well, normally it expires when the trust is distributed. Now the trustee can sell the property usually unless the kids need to live there. Um, The trustee also is not enslaved to the trust. A trustee can resign as trustee. Mm -hmm. But normally a trustee is in charge until the last asset is distributed. The way you close out a trust is by distributing all of its assets, having nothing left, making sure final taxes and accountings are done, and then the trust is closed. But but if all the benefits beneficiaries say I want that house to remain so I can we can each live in a bedroom for the next 20 years then that trust will survive 20 years potentially or we might distribute the property into a new business entity or a new trust Mm. for the beneficiaries we don't have to leave it in the trust Oh, I see. Okay. But it does happen. I get benef- I have a, a house in escrow right now, Denise, where the decedent died 22 years ago, and nobody did anything with the house until all three of the children died without grandchildren and um, were trying to administer the last dead child's estate out of, in another state. And the family has said, oh, by the way, you know, there's still this house in Walnut Creek. <laughs> Gosh. Under layers of dust, wow. and um, and we had it's to go. Is that empty yeah, for those twenty years? It's, yeah, one of the family, men, one of the children used it part time, mm-hmm. um, and they and they never did anything. They didn't, and they didn't. Uh, f- you know, they missed every possible 
tax deadline and filing deadline that exists. And there's going to be a beautiful capital gains tax that's going to be owed to the state and some back property taxes because they never filed the, the um, Prop 13 exclusion form. Um, so they were they were supposed to be reassessed for the last 22 years. I think they can go back about eight years on that or something. Isn't that amazing? Like so many of us are scrapping just to own a piece of property, and yet there are people who own, live, and die owning property and mm-hmm. let it collect us and do nothing with it. It's absurd. It's funny. Well, and now the the family wants the, you know there's their cousins and and aunts and uncles and and they were hoping they came to me because they wanted thought they'd be the heirs but it, it goes to the whole estate the property and and other things go to the the last living child's estate hmm. and the last living child had a will that says i leave all of my estate to my living trust so that will is going to govern and her living trust has lovely charities who are going to get the assets of the gentleman who died 22 years ago wow. so this he did, my client did the right planning, but nobody followed up. There are always things to do when somebody dies, whether it's a spouse or a parent. If it's somebody that you share assets with or want to inherit from, you've got to ask your attorney, is there anything I need to do because dad or, or my wife died? Um, if you wait too long, you're going to miss some very, very important deadlines. If you don't have like a family attorney, they're talking to you. Like whoever, you being the attorney who helped their parents do the estate plan, when they are talking to attorney, it's you they're calling? Right. It's okay. me they're calling. So, so one important deadline is nine months from the date of death, you have to file papers with the IRS to claim your spouse's gift and estate tax credit. That is currently approximately, I believe, $11,580,000. That will be transferred to you as the surviving spouse permanently if you file with the IRS within nine months of the date of death. If you do nothing, like a lot of people do, you lose that permanently. And if the estate tax goes down, which it is scheduled to do even if nothing happens, no later than 2025, you've lost this significant credit. That $11.6 million at 40% is worth about $5 million in tax credits and dollars in the pocket for your family. Um, there are there are deadlines for property taxes, which are about to be completely extinguished, but we still have time for some families to file those papers. So basically, like only would you, if you were working with an estate attorney, would you even know these deadlines exist? Like the whole, this is like a do not, don't do this at home, don't try this at home moment because... It's it's an estate attorney or estate planner's job to keep ahead of those things. And if you have if if it's not your full time job, you better have someone looking out for you. It could be exactly. millions millions of dollars yeah. in value that you're mm. forsaking. Well, no. I think it's almost like right. how I equ- equate with like the for sale by owners. Like mm. they think they can save money on the commission by doing it themselves, but they actually end up losing more in the money because they don't really get it uh, with the market price and um, they don't have the proper uh, guidance to help them. Would you say that for the most part, and I know you guys are somewhat biased, but it seems like professionals who are in the financial services industry, most of them, whatever their costs are, they make a business out of 
creating more value or giving you greater protection than you're spending on them. Well, it's just like buying car insurance, right? Or home insurance. You don't expect you to get into an accident or you don't get you don't expect to have your house burned down, but you buy it and you don't use it and you don't claim it every year, but you know, estate planning it costs money up front, but And the and the odds are a lot better because the odds of you needing your insurance are fairly low and the odds of you dying, unfortunately, folks, is still 100%. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, running up in a hospital or anything. So, yeah, with everything, insurance is something you pay for that you hope you don't use. All other financial professionals you're paying, but you will get more value than you're paying if you do it right. Right? If you get the right person who helps you, you know, they will give you more value than than you pay for. That is costing. Right. So, Jen, we talked about in earlier episodes of this podcast the importance of having your team. Rich or successful families have their estate attorney, their CPA, and their financial planner. So, if something happens or there's a death, you just ask the question and they will tell you, here are the steps you need to take to preserve your assets, save taxes, etc. And then you are protected. It's the people who do nothing that this comes back to haunt them in incredible ways. Well, can you imagine like your uh, a parent dies or a spouse dies and you have to go on Yelp to try to find a financial professional that can help you out? I mean, what a horrible situation to be in. So build your team now. And there are even services, there are definitely services you need now. There are services that um, you need to protect yourself with, but any amount of, you know, if, if you have to put it on your credit card, some, you know, it's, it's something that really should be done. And you know what I, I want to point out? It's also so important because um, I've been through a situation where, you know, a parent died unexpectedly and then all these decisions and everyone's emotional and you sometimes don't make the right decision and family members stop, stop talking to each other because of the emotion involved and, and the mindset is different. So estate planning allows you to actually honor the wish of the person who passed away and and not assume what they want what they would have wanted for the family or make decisions make, in the heat of the moment exactly right. there, yeah there's no guessing work there's less fighting mm-hmm. the biggest issue the number starting the first issue that comes up is burial cremation where when how what why i'm always trying to talk my clients into pre-planning and putting this in their estate planning documents that this is what they want what, what is that called it's a certain is, is it a section of what what is that the well in your living trust jen there's yeah. a section called funeral and burial arrangements that's what it's called <laughs> uh, it says like, ex- i know right. that we talked about this i can't remember if it was a sec- separate document but yeah that's a, well, that's an important part of anyone's estate again, plan again okay. with covid 19, I, I would think that people would really think about this because it can come at you like nowhere, right? And mm-hmm. so it's best to have it. And I, I know like with Joe, when you do it, it also includes the health directive, which is very key in situation where someone fall ill and they might not pass away, but they're sitting and lying in that hospital and they don't get, you know, they're just stuck and they can't make this decision and they're the only one who can sign for it. Mm-hmm. And then you're stuck. And, yeah. and you end up, you know, not having money to pay for the mortgage, a spouse not having the money to pay for the mortgage because she can't access his account. Mm-hmm. So, um, Well, I guess also COVID or a time like this where older people are more vulnerable, this might be a good time that if you have ol- older parents, unless you know they have a really good estate attorney, you might want to call Joel on their behalf and say, hey, they, they might not even know it, but like this, these decisions have to be 
have to be made because some of the burden is not even borne by the person who didn't do the estate plan. It's borne by their loved ones. Well, my client um, was going to actually be reaching out to Joe to help plan her dad's um, mm-hmm. um, estate planning. But but just ask the parents, your parents mm-hmm. or grandparents, when's the last time you've had this reviewed? And, you know, if it's been a while, especially if it's been since before 2012, um, just say, you know, make sure you go back to your attorney to have it reviewed. Um, The law changed significantly in 2012, and many pre-2012 living trusts have to be updated. Well, my <laughs> my parents are very DIY. They're very do-it-yourself. They will do anything to save a buck. I always try to encourage them to use the professionals, but they're like, oh, well, well, we had a professional look at what we did that we printed off the internet that was pretty generic or just like a legal Zoom kind of thing, and he said it was fine and it'll, it'll live forever. I keep telling them, you really should get it checked out, and Joel, you chuckled. So, you're, so am I right to continue to push them, or is it possible that they have actually got something that is time-proof? I have not yet in 30 years seen a homemade estate plan worked right. And I don't think I will see that in my lifetime. Ooh, maybe you can give them a money-back guarantee. If it's perfect, <laughs> they don't have to pay. <laughs> I will accept that challenge. Ooh. Fabulous. Oh, this will be good. Because that will prove to prove to people. You, know? yeah. it's like, you can offer to charge to say, it on your credit card yes. and yes. say, you know what, I'm going to charge it on my credit card so that a professional can look at it and have a second opinion on whether your estate was... Um, um, done right, yeah. Because right. I know it's gonna. I know it's like I'm. I'm. I'm gonna be the, well, the, when was the one last time bearing the burden it if it's not you, right. You know, when was the last time they've done it? Because you have had two kids, you know, and so was it done before Cece was, you know? Yeah, totally. So for for new clients who already have an estate plan, if they like your parents, Jen, if you want me to review the whole estate plan, prepare a summary, find any mistakes, and then spend an hour with you going over it, I charge a flat fee of $450. That's a deal. So the deal is for your parents, if I don't find any mistakes, I won't charge them that. But what I'll actually probably do is prepare a list of the top 20 mistakes they made, (laughs) and then I'll leave the rest to repair when when we redo their documents. (laughs) You know, and I'll tell them it's only like $20 per mistake. (laughs) You know, it's like it sounds like $450, but if, if 20 is on the lower side of the mistakes you find... That will be interesting. So is it fun for you to just poke holes in all of them? Sometimes it is, yes. <laughs> and, 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 and now, now, here's an advertisement for attorneys, because I've been developing this form over the years. I use kind of a checklist and notes for my review. And the first line I've, I ended up putting on my form is, attorney prepared a state plan, yes or no? The difference in errors, I find, is astronomical. There are some attorneys in in my county, if they prepared the documents, all I need to discuss is the changes clients want to make. Some attorneys have retired, so they just want to change who gets what and who's in charge. That's all people really want to talk about. When it wasn't prepared by an attorney, I can rarely save the documents, and and I find just vast lists of mistakes, and and some of them are hysterical, Um, especially when I find uh, Mr. Sanchez. If your name's Sanchez, this is a disclaimer. This is not an actual person. Um, Mr. Sanchez, I've met many, many years ago when I reviewed an estate.
estate plan um, that a client, potential new client had prepared, signed her trust that was prepared by her neighbor by using someone else's form, and they forgot to change names <gasps> in the trust. They fixed the first page correctly, but the trustees and beneficiaries turned out to be people that my client had never heard of, and she was leaving everything to some guy named Sanchez. Maybe that was the neighbor. We never found out, but her everything was wrong in the trust. Oh, now, wait, so she actually died with it being wrong? Or no, you she caught didn't it? die. <laughs> oh, I caught God. it. Oh, my gosh. So every, every year I find the trust with Mr. Sanchez back in there that, that um, she was probably sends you a really belonged good Christmas to someone present, else's form. Say my yeah. life. Wow, that's now, crazy. A lot of people complain when they have long trusts, and, and sometimes they get a little bit long. But it's very important to have all the here and after there, two fours, and boilerplate in your trust. In my trust, I, I make them an attachment and incorporate them by language in the trust. So I can do my trust in five to nine pages, and normal folks can pretty much read them. And then I put about 16, 17 pages of boilerplate in the end. And some of my clients read it and say, well, I don't really need provision 47. Can we take that out? And the answer is, of course not, because these are all the required legal provisions and a lot of just-in-case emergency provisions. I hope you never need to protect your heirs in a state if someone's in jail or you become a beneficiary becomes incapacitated or someone tries to contest your estate. Or last year I had four heirs and three were in bankruptcy at the time. So we can protect against those sorts of things in a trust. There are a lot of hidden benefits to a trust that, that don't apply to everybody, but completely save the day. And there's one I do want to talk about that applies in California that I see very frequently and in any other community property state. And this is the story of the lazy couple. The lazy couple decides that, look, we've got everything as joint ownership. When one of us dies, the surviving spouse will get everything. True. And then the surviving spouse can go to the lawyer and set up the trust. True. So the surviving spouse comes to me and they've got their house and usually one or two other properties and they're all in joint tenancy and they want me to transfer to them. And that's when we have the talk about community property. When we have assets properly set up as community property, normally in a living trust that designates it as community property, and a spouse dies, the surviving spouse gets a 100% step up in the cost basis of all of those assets. So that means that if the survivor wants to sell something, they don't have to pay a capital gains tax. Or if they sell it down the road, they only pay a tax on the difference. If the survivor is going to keep a rental property, they get to depreciate it from full current value. That's a huge tax savings. If you use joint tenancy, it is a 50% step up in basis, not 100%. And that causes such a great loss that I end up having to take these folks to court instead. We go to probate court and file something called a spousal property petition, and we ask the court to confirm everything to the surviving spouse's community property, and then we get one of the same benefits of a living trust, and that costs more than doing a trust. So there are so many benefits to a trust that really it's nuts not to do one. Um, but some folks still don't believe that the mortality rate is 100%, and that's why my probate practice is bigger than it has ever been in my lifetime. Um, COVID is part of the reason, but I have a lot of estates that have nothing. I rarely see an estate that actually has a legitimate will, unless it's really old. 
it's either no will, a handwritten will, or they have a living trust and we're not going to court. That's pretty much all I see. And I have a record number of probates right now that are caused by the procrastinators and the do-it-yourselfers. So it's basically pay now or pay more later. <laughs> it's a pretty right. easy choice. So if you don't like your heirs... <laughs> Then let it go then to don't, hell. <laughs> yes, absolutely. That's the only reason. So, did people ever do a living trust with you without an estate plan, or it's always an element of an estate no, plan? It's an element of an estate plan. Okay. Estate planning is just getting your affairs in order, protecting yourself while you're alive, saying what happens with your family when you're dead. There's simple ways to set it up, more complex ways to set it up, depending on what you want. Okay. And um, I know that you obviously work and live in Contra Costa County, but are you able to do this work for people all over California? You're able to like adjust for different counties or most of it is on a state level? It's all on a state and federal level. And Mm -hmm. these days when everyone's working at home and I'm doing everything remotely, I'm statewide and I've enjoyed that. And then I just mail or email the final documents to you to print and get notarized. If you're in the Bay Area, you come see me. I notarize it for free. But if you're not, you can go to any notary and have it notarized and you're all set. Very cool. And I think you said you were doing a promotion, or I saw an email, you, that if you want to if you want to buy your parents an estate plan or some well, co- consultation with Joel, you have gift cards, uh, don't you? Yeah, so <laughs> we're trying this, this the experiment. Best guess, yes. The best guest gift ever. Well, over the years, I've had a number of parents and sometimes children, you know, pay for their parents or children to set up an estate plan. So just for fun, I offered free gift certificates this year for the holidays that you can hand to your parents or your kids. You don't pay anything for it. And then they can come back to me and get a discounted estate plan set up. And then I bill the giver for it uh, if, if the kids actually show up to do their trust. And then you don't have to get your kids anything for Christmas or Hanukkah. You just give them a Joel Harris gift certificate. And if they don't use it, it doesn't cost you anything. And at least they, they knew that you you cared and how important it was to you. And you hope that doesn't mean that your your heirs are like are um, are <laughs> pushing you into an early grave. <laughs> I want to be sure I'm I'm tended to. Well, so so most of the so I I have clients who come in and say, look, how do my parents have properties and they have issues and they have set up nothing and the kids don't get along and what do I do? And I say, look, tell them you've got to get an estate plan done. Well, they won't do it or they won't want to pay for it. Mm-hmm. So I say, you offer to pay for it. Yeah. And nine out of ten times the parents end up paying for it after all. I've only had, I think, two cases in all the years where the parents made the kids pay for it, and it was very much worth it for the kids I to was going to say, like, I would love if if that, if, if, they're, if the parent let you pay for it, then you get to write, <laughs> like, you have some stroke in, in what you, you know, leave to yourself. You get no say whatsoever. Oh. I won't even talk to the person who pays for it. They give the money to the parent. Uh. The parent pays me. The parent is my client, and they can even disinherit that child if they tell me to. Interesting. That hasn't happened, but they could. <laughs> okay, Joel, let's wrap up, and um, I'm just going to ask you, what do you recommend that people do, whether they do or do not have an estate plan? So we'll start with the do's. Congratulations. Thank you for <laughs> your support. Um, and your family will thank you forever. But you can't let it lie. So if, if, it's, if you haven't reviewed it in a while, especially since 2012, go back to your attorney and do a review. You have a homework assignment when you did your living trust. Your living trust is supposed to have a schedule of your assets. Make sure that schedule is up to date because if you die, that's where we're going to start with the administration of your trust. You should also have a schedule or a separate list somewhere of other assets you own that are not in your trust. That will be life insurance, 
IRAs and 401ks, um, long-term care insurance, uh, pension plans, things like that. So if you have those kinds of assets somewhere, you should list them for your family. If you don't have an estate plan, my email address is shame, Joel. Shame. <laughs> is Joel at joelharrislaw.com. Um, but the best way to find an attorney is to go on to calbar.org, the state bar's website, and do a certified specialist search. Last time I checked, there were about 900 attorneys in the state that are certified specialists in estate planning. Pick one near you. Most of us offer a free consultation, um, and we can give you some advice, tell you the benefits and costs before you make any decisions. So at least take that first baby step into protecting yourself and your family. Fabulous. And I just want to um, also say, if you're looking to buy or sell a house, talk to Denise, because Joel is constantly in her ear to make sure that she and her clients um, handle all manners associated with estate planning and the legal side of, of homeownership. So um, they make a really good team. So also you can contact Denise. Just go to tricksoftherich.com to get in touch with any of us or email tricksoftherich at gmail.com. I'll send you to the right person. Yeah, and if you're 55 or older, don't sell your house now until you talk to Denise because there are significant new laws going into effect in California on April 1st. And if you don't sell your house at the right time, it's going to cost you. So talk to Denise about that. Thank you so much, Jill. And <laughs> well, Denise, my parents are trying to sell their house before the end of March. Is this going to be a problem? We need to talk about this. <laughs> Denise is my parents. Uh, Denise is my parents' realistic realtor. And Joel, you will you were soon to be their estate planner. <laughs> if I have anything to say about well, it, well, we so. are going to talk together then yes. and plan yes. this out for them. All right, guys. Look, we got yeah, we got to assemble the troops to help my parents out. So thank you all very much. Thank you for listening, and we'll hear you and see you next time. Thanks. Thank you. Hi, it's Jen, and I want to tell you about Denise Pham, my realtor, who is so great and so wise. I made her my business partner and my co-host on this podcast. How you buy and sell your homes can affect your well-being and happiness for years to come, so be careful when choosing a realtor. Denise is not a salesperson who will show you pretty houses until she convinces you to buy one and then disappears with her commission check. She's a true advisor and advocate. She'll fight for what's best for you, even if that means suggesting you walk away from a gorgeous, expensive home with no yard, knowing you'll wish you had one for your kids in five years. Yes, that happened to me, and I'm thankful to Denise every day. She also has a team of experts and a network of contacts, from lenders to general contractors to financial advisors, that will help you make the best choices, whether buying a single-family home or using real estate as an investment strategy. She's a great business partner, and she can help you create the ideal life for you and your family. Visit tigerrealtor.com or contact her through tricksoftherich.com. No strings attached. She'd love to talk with you about your goals and how she can help you achieve them. Thank you so much for listening to the Tricks of the Rich podcast. Be sure to visit our website, tricksoftherich.com, where you can find recordings of the podcast and submit questions for our Q&A sessions and a list of events that we're having in your area so we can meet you in person and answer your personal questions. Thanks so much.